This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 4th of December 2021 on Monocle 24. I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up in the next half an hour, we have a bit of a festive programme for you. We'll be live between London and Zurich. Our team in Switzerland opens up the door for Monocle's Christmas market. We'll be joined by Monocle's news editor, Chris Chermack, and by the journalist, Juliet Linley. Plus, we hear from our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, who ponders on drama series based off real events and how they tell history. While this is just a version of events and a drama, it does something unsettling. It makes you look back on a long-running story and reflect on your role as a TV viewer and newspaper reader in it. That's Andrew Tuck. And that's all ahead on Monocle on Saturday, here on Monocle 24. In Vienna, the first talks on the nuclear deal with Iran since the election of the hardline president, Ibrahim Raisi, have faltered. Iran demanded sweeping changes to the negotiated text, and European officials expressed disappointment and concern. The discussion has now adjourned until next week. Russia has massed more than 94,000 troops near Ukraine's borders and may be gearing up for a large-scale military offensive at the end of January, Ukraine's defence minister told Parliament on Friday, citing intelligence reports. Ukraine and its NATO allies have sounded the alarm about Russian troop movements near Ukraine borders this year, sparking worries that a simmering conflict in eastern Ukraine could erupt into open war. And Gambians will cast their votes today using a unique voting system, marbles dropped in each candidate's ballot drum in a tightly fought presidential election that will test stability and democratic progress in the tiny West African nation. Nearly one million people out of a two and a half million population are registered to vote in mainland Africa's smallest country. Turnout is expected to be high, according to election officials. I'm Georgina Godwin, and that's your Monocle 24 News. Well, now let's cross over to Zurich to check in with our guests there. I'm very happy to say that I'm joined this morning by Monocle's news editor, Chris Chermack, and also by the journalist and former Vatican correspondent, Juliet Lindley. Hello to you both. Hello, Georgina. Hi, Georgina. You know what? I am so sad because my ticket was booked and everything, and I should be there with you. And then, of course, uh, Switzerland said 10 days quarantine. I cancelled everything. And then yesterday it was lifted. I could have been there after all. I was kind of hoping I would see you here this morning, Georgina, somehow. Such a pity, yeah, they changed it so last minute. I guess it didn't give you a chance to change your ticket. No, It is, it is really just a shame, yes, I have to say. I was, I was lucky in that I happened to be vacationing in Austria, and that was the only reason that I <laughs> managed to get here instead of you, Georgina, which I do feel quite sad about in that way. But yes, I was sort of visiting Austria, which was a strange experience in itself to be locked down with my parents in Austria, but it was still a nice experience. 
experience playing board games and feeling like you're back in 2020 uh, and then came from from there to here so uh, that part you know just taking the train across the border went very smoothly well and one of the other reasons apart from missing you both is the fact that I'm missing the Christmas market so can you describe it to me has it opened it has just opened, literally, as we went live on air. Uh, the sounding bell, if you will, was sounded, and everyone is slowly starting to to wander in here. It is. It, it's really nice. It's impressive to see. I have to say, I was I was actually also at the Monocle Christmas Market in London. We have a nice open space here indoors uh, as well, where everyone is setting up stalls and slowly welcoming people in. The weather is not the best. It has to be said, unfortunately, but that's. That's why it's so nice to have this space to welcome everybody inside. Yeah. Juliet, so tell us, what can, what can people expect at the market today? Well, let me give you a little teaser. So there's the Veen VYN sneakers, which you're going to love them, Georgina, because they are climate friendly in that the part that gets worn out first of your shoe is usually the heel. Well, these ones can be changed. Apparently, you can replace them. So that's one kind of cute product you might be interested in. Then there's Punkt, which is the detox phone. It's designed by uh, star London designer Jasper Morrison, and it lets you be connected without social media. So it's the main rival to Nokia. We'll hear possibly more about it later in the show. Only costs 250 francs, and apparently it's what politicians and all the VIPs of the world take with them when they go on a yacht or when they go to a spa when they don't want to be connected, but they still need to be connected. That sounds amazing. Um, so people flooding in now, I, I imagine. Just tell us if people are in Switzerland, uh, what they can do. They can So it's all at Duffelstrasse 90, Chris. It is all at Duffelstrasse 90 here at the here at the Monocle uh, Cafe and offices, for that matter, that we have uh, here in Zurich. And it's just spread out throughout the inside, throughout the cafe, but also in the, the back room. We have this sort of studio set up here at uh, Duffelstrasse 90 with the radio looking out literally over the market as we speak. So we can watch people as they, as they the come buzz. in here. You can, you can hear, hear the buzz, the buzz I'm sure, in the background as well. Exactly. So that is what you're hearing. You're hearing people wander in and start uh, start looking at everything on offer. Well, can you take some pictures and send them to me? Because I would really like to see, because it always looks so lovely as well. Listen, we're going to come back to you uh, in a little while. Uh, but right now, it's time to join Monocle's Editor-in-Chief, Andrew Tuck. Here he is with his regular Saturday column. Perhaps a little late to the party, but this week we've been watching Impeachment, American Crime Story. It's a 10-part drama about the Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky affair, and you get to see it from everyone's angle. President Clinton, Hillary, Linda Tripp, notorious at the time for taping her conversations with naive colleague Lewinsky, Paula Jones, who had accused the president of sexual harassment, Juanita Broderick, who alleges that Clinton raped her, and of course, you get Lewinsky's perspective too. Back in 1998, the tale of Lewinsky, the young White House intern who became involved with the president, dominated the news and threatened to end Clinton's tenure in the White House. What happened? How did she see this In the end, both he and Hillary seemed to walk away relatively unscathed, while the women with whom he had been involved were trashed. While this is just a version of events and a drama, it does something unsettling. It makes you look back on a long-running story and reflect on your role as a TV viewer and newspaper reader in it. 
The push to impeach Clinton was undoubtedly partisan, and meanwhile he was doing genuinely good things at the time, such as helping secure a peace deal in Northern Ireland. So many people kind of wished this story would just go away. And the infamous cigar tail and the semen-stained dress were also a bit too sordid for you to drum up much empathy for anyone involved. But looking back now, you wonder how we stood by as commentators, comedians, writers stepped up to destroy Lewinsky and shield the Clintons. You even feel for Linda Tripp, who is judged by the media as much on her weight and looks as she is on her failings as a friend to Lewinsky. Back in 1999, I went to a friend's birthday party and Monica Lewinsky was there. It was a packed room and I couldn't really think of anything to say, so I never got to meet her. I really wish I had. We have a new America's editor and as you read this, he's sitting on a flight inbound to Los Angeles. He's hopefully not snoozing, but rather writing a list of all the stories he's going to report for me. He's called Chris Lord, and you may recognise the name as he used to work for us before, both in London and as our bureau chief in Istanbul. He was stationed in the city in July 2016 during the failed coup attempt, but had gone away for the weekend to stay on the Prince's Islands in the Bosphorus, so had to hitch a ride back into Istanbul on a boat belonging to a supporter of President Erdogan. And he arrived to the roar of a renegade fighter jet buzzing low over the city. For some reason, he decided to come back to London, and then he left Monocle for a four-year stint as a news producer for BBC Radio 4, as well as finally finishing a book with the photographer John Tonks. But I have now lured him back. The US remains our biggest market for magazine sales and radio listeners, so it will be great having him on the ground and expanding our US coverage. And Chris also has the stamina to follow long, twisting news narratives and the ability to step back to see where the real story is. He would have been a good addition to the team on impeachment. Another story we need to step back from is Omicron. The whole world is on an epic cool hold while we wait for scientists to come back to us with some clear evidence about the COVID variant's transmissibility and whether it is a greater threat, or perhaps not, to our health than previous variants. At the moment, we just don't know. But that certainly has not deterred any British politicians from handing out head-spingly contradictory advice. For now, however, it's going to be down to us as individuals to navigate our own paths across the coming days and to do what we feel comfortable with while always taking care to be attuned to what those around us need too. This week I ended up in a bar until way beyond my usual bedtime, went to several events, taking lateral flow tests before rocking up, travelled on the tube in my mask and all was just fine, thank you. Of course, there are risks, but I am triple jabbed and certainly do not need ministers telling me who I should kiss. Anyway, it's a rather short list of options or whether I should have a drink in a bar. My behaviour will change with the science. Many thanks there to Andrew Tuck. This is Monocle on Saturday on Monocle 24. again from London and also from Zurich where uh, we are joined by our news editor Chris Chermak and the journalist Juliet Lindley. They're at our Christmas market at Dufferstrasse 90 uh, and uh, they have the newspapers in front of them I believe Chris and Juliet. 
We do have the newspapers in front of us. Uh, we can start wherever you would like, Georgina. Perhaps we should start with some things from Switzerland, given where we are. Sure. What's the big story there today? <laughs> well, the big story here in Switzerland, of course, in all of the newspapers, is a series of new restrictions that were announced here yesterday. Uh, we talked about this on the Daily last night, actually, as well. It is quite interesting because Switzerland, in an interesting way, on the one hand, uh, sort of tightened restrictions uh, domestically, uh, uh, you know, around the country, but at the same time actually lifted travel restrictions so that it's easier to get in. Quarantines were lifted even for southern African nations um, to, allow, to allow travel to sort of resume again, although there will be stepped-up testing. And so one story uh, related to that, obviously there's a lot in different papers. There's, a, there's an essay in the Neue Zürcher Zeitung, which is sort of pleading with Switzerland not to impose a vaccine mandate as is being considered in Germany, saying we should all step back and sort of continue a certain amount of self-responsibility. But one story I actually wanted to pick out because I thought this was very Swiss, very German as well for that matter that I'm quite used to, is numbers about how the pandemic has led to calm at airports uh, here in Zurich and that the number of people who complained about the noise coming from airports fell to a record low in 2020 of 15,468. That is well below the required number of 47,000 people per year which who are allowed to complain at a maximum before measures should be taken to try and reduce the noise that stems from airports and planes flying over air. Of course, there were less planes in the air. Uh, you know, the airports fell around 60% planes, so that is the key reason for the drop in noise complaints. And this, you know, uh, of course, we at Monaco in many ways hope that this will continue to rise again as the pandemic reduces. But I just, I just thought it was an interesting story to talk about this impact that noise always has uh, in Zurich, but I lived in Frankfurt for a while. It was such a battle at night. If you didn't, if you landed, if you're coming in after 10 p.m., I think it was, you had to be diverted to a different airport because people would complain and you'd have to sort of end up flying somewhere else because they wouldn't let you land. And speaking of noise, it sounds very, very lively there, Juliet. It's so lively, and I'm just looking at this cashmere stand. You would love it, Georgina, because it's sustainable cashmere, and it's straight. It's called butter tea, like the tea that you drink in Mongolia, and they only have colors that appear naturally on a goat. So you only have sort of hazelnuts and cream colors. You're not having any ne neon green or fluorescent orange, just in case that's what you were thinking for your winter outfit. It sounds wonderful. I'm such a huge fan of cashmere. Aren't we all? Exactly. <laughs> Aren't we all? Uh, Julia, what's caught your eye in, in the press today? Well, let's start with um, Vatican News, Georgina. How about that? I mean, there is a big story, and that's that the Pope is on his 35th official trip abroad. And you've got to give it to him. The gentleman is over 80, and he's on a two-nation visit. He spent two days in Cyprus, and he's now in Greece for three days. And this is an opportunity, for what he called, it's an opportunity to drink from the ancient wellsprings of Europe. But actually, it's his big chance to focus on the plight of migrants. So in the Mediterranean Sea, as he calls it, a great big seminar. 
cemetery with refugees and migrants swallowed up in its waters as they flee war and poverty. So the Pope is going to be revisiting refugees and migrants tomorrow on the Greek island of Lesbos. And small islands do tend to be the perfect setting for him to make his big statements. So already in 2013, when he'd just become Pope, he went to Lampedusa, which is the Italian island, which is actually closer to Tunisia than to Sicily. And it was his first trip outside of Rome. And there he really put migration on the papal pastoral agenda and saying, you know, we've got to get rid of this globalization of indifference mm. towards suffering. Do you want some Italian news too, oh, or should we? Let's have some Italian news. Okay, I've got two stories for you, and they are, of course, linked to COVID and to the numbers going up and everything. You're going to love this one, and it's from Corriere della Sera. And in the town of Biella in northern Italy, 57-year-old dentist Guido Russo has been suspended because he didn't get his jab. Now, as we know, you do have elements of, of anti-vaxxers even in the medical community, but in Italy, it is absolutely obligatory if you're a medical staff member to get your jab. But here's the kicker. He's a, such a fierce anti-vaxxer that he turned up at the vaccination center with a silicon arm and silicon deltoid, and he really thought that he would get away <laughs> with them jabbing the silicon instead of absolutely not letting those chemicals into his body. Well, funny enough, there was an interview with the nurse, and she said, well, the color of that nude-colored silicon was just a little bit off, and then when I touched it, yeah, no, you could tell that this was not his arm. So the poor gentleman has been suspended, but it really does not put them in a good light, these anti-vaxxers. That's hilarious. Oh, dear. Um, there I, is another little story. Do you have time? A really uh -huh, quick yeah. one. It's actually, I can't find it corroborated in any of the media, but I was talking to a colleague in Sud Tirol, and they're saying that there's... There's this urban myth going around because there are so many anti-vaxxers in the north, right? Especially in the mountain regions, like in Germany, like in parts of Switzerland and Appenzell or and in Austria. So um, this colleague was saying that, of course, they don't want to put chemicals into their body. They're mountain people and so on. So there is a man allegedly, in Alto Adige, who was found to have earned thousands of euros. And if you do the maths, it comes up to nearly 30,000 euro. And again, this is a bit of a laugh, but this is what he was doing. He was turning up at the vaccination center every time with a different person's NHS card, Tessera Sanitaria. And he was getting the jab. He apparently has no qualms about putting chemicals into his body, but registering all these different farmers or people from Alto Adige who were giving him their tessere sanitaria. Well, apparently it was 1,500 euro that the gentleman was earning per jab. So literally, if you do the maths, it comes to 27,000 euro. Anyway, it's a good story. If it's not true, it's really creatively thought out. But I wonder what that means for his immunity. Well, that's what I was wondering too. And my colleague said apparently he's absolutely fine. Well, we've got to do more research on him. <laughs> oh dear. Now, Chris, you've just been locked down with your parents in Austria. And of of course, we're going into winter now, and there's a big story uh, from Austria about the uncertain winter season. Tell us more. There is. I was looking at a story in Der Standard, which, yes, is quite a personal one for me, because part of the reason I was in Vienna is because I had been hoping to go skiing, actually, for the start of the season this year. And, of course, that did not work out with the lockdown that Austria imposed. And there's a story in the Standard that really sort of brings a number of interviews from businesses in the region that talk about the impact that this is having. Austria, of course, is in a three-week lockdown at the moment. That includes for people who are vaccinated, so a full lockdown. 
And what the story talks about is just the uncertainty about it, because the hope is that actually in now just about nine days, on the 13th of December, this lockdown will be lifted again, at least for the vaccinated, not for the unvaccinated in Austria. But that just creates, uh, and this is what the article is about, so much uncertainty among businesses because they don't know if that 13th is really going to be stuck to, if cases don't fall enough, will it be extended? And it's just been interesting to read their, the perspective of, of these businesses who have to plan, they have to get goods in for the Christmas season. Should they be ordering now? Should they not be ordering now? There's one particular essay uh, from Alexander Meyer. He runs a ski school in Flachau and he talks about just how motivated they are and were this year after, of course, last year they saw you know a, a business collapse uh, in the mountains of Austria. They typically have about 50 to 60 ski teachers from five different nations. Uh, he talked about how you know each also the people that come to ski have different requirements in that sense. Apparently the Danish always want to have a Danish ski school teacher even though they still have to speak German as well so they have to fly in Danes for the Danish skiers and all of that has been very hard. He had a whole you know a whole bunch of, of ski teachers ready to come and now he's not able to guarantee a job for them is the way he put it. He had to write them and say I don't know when the season is actually going to start. They are hopeful it will still start either for Christmas or just after Christmas. Um, and so he's kind of put them on this uh, you know temporary sort of standby situation. He says luckily none of them so far uh, have cancelled as a result of that. But it, it's, it's just quite tricky. You know, this is after last year, this is just going to be such an essential season for, you know, these Alpine nations and the tourism that, that comes from that for Austria. Also here in Switzerland, they're all just desperately waiting for this lockdown to end and to be able to come back and wel welcome people back to the slopes. And as you say, it's the uncertainty, isn't it? It is absolutely the uncertainty that they found is the most difficult thing. They said that with any. There's also somebody here uh, from the Prata uh, here in um, uh, here, I should say, where I was, where I just was in Vienna, uh, a restaurant owner there, Paul Kolarik, who talks about also his uncertainty with bookings, things like that. People booking events, they usually get events of like 20, 30, 40 people in restaurants. That's or even 200 people. That's not happening in this case. There's just smaller events that people are planning in case things uh, open up again. So there's just a lot of uncertainty in terms of what's to be expected. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a wonderful story that you pointed out to me uh, from the Washington Post. Uh, wonderful in terms of the fact that it, it, it uh, examines something that's very important, but what it's talking about is, is awful, and that's the closing of local newspapers across the United States. That's right. There's this long story in the Washington Post magazine, I should even say, but I thought it was, it was very interesting because, yes, it talks about and profiles a bunch of newspapers across the US. Some numbers for you that just are quite striking. Over sort of 15 years up until uh, December 2020, about a quarter of US sort of local print newspapers ceased publishing. Um, and that's really quite striking. Only sort of a third of uh, sort of 3,000 or so US counties 
uh, have a daily newspaper at this point in the U.S., and then even those that do, the numbers just of, of those who are employed has has plummeted about 50, more than 50 percent in terms of what exists. So this is really a story that profiles various ones. One that struck my eye that uh, was interesting was Youngstown, uh, Youngstown, Ohio. They talk about a 150-year-old daily newspaper there called The Vindicator that went out of business in 2019. And there, a former editor just sort of writes about the importance of local news. And even one thing that struck me that I thought was interesting was just the impact that having reporters present at, at sort of local even town, you know, sort of council events, school board meetings, committee meetings of the local boards, that kind of stuff, the input, the importance that that had because they just found that even if you're not reporting, you know, a big major story, sort of uncovering investigative news, just the presence of a journalist at an event like that, even a local council, just, just makes your local officials behave that little bit more because they know that if they say something wrong or if they make a decision that is completely completely off base. Well, there is a reporter there to recount it to the rest of, of the city. And Youngstown is one of the largest cities that no longer has a daily newspaper. Right. Uh, it's, and I mean, it means so much for, for democracy, for, for all. I mean, it has so many implications, doesn't it? Exactly. It means so much. I mean, that, that last example particularly, I think, is what shows the impact that this can have on a democracy. The, the other thing that this article talked about was just the impact on sort of uh, the lack of interest that comes as a result of that. Those places that don't have local news, don't have a local newspaper, people also just don't tend to vote. There's more apathy in those places. They're not as engaged in politics. So that was one of the sad aspects of this as well. You hope this is something they can turn around. There is, There has been some efforts to change laws in the U.S. to encourage people to buy local newspapers, to subsidize local news, essentially. Um, we hope that that kind of thing gets off the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Juliet, I understand that you have found one of the vendors and dragged them to the microphone. I have dragged Cecilia D'Urso, Georgina, and she works for the company Punct, which, as I was telling you, is the the answer to Nokia and it's all about being anti-smartphone. Cecilia, tell us, what's the headline here? Morning everyone. So the Punt Minimalist Phone MPO2 uh, was born in uh, 2018 and is a phone which the main purpose is uh, first of all to protect you from uh, digital hackering because it's a very secure phone and also to be social without social media so to disconnect but staying connected anyway so how is this different to the uh mobile phones that we used to use in the good old days okay so there's no scroll down it's a tactile keyboard so it's a a phone that involves all the five senses and is based on using technology with a purpose not scrolling down every day in social media so no social media no emails no apps but you can do whatever they eat one uh, in a meaning way. Okay, someone will say, God, that's so boring. <laughs> Who's buying it? Why? <laughs> and tell me what the upshot is. So our main target are business people and also journalists, which um, perhaps they have to stay connected all the week for their work. And during the weekend, they just want to switch off. So remaining connected with uh, very important people. So if you want to make a call, you can, but can you not send an SMS down. Text message? Yeah, you can send a message. And now there's also Pigeon, which is our way of uh, signal the app. Okay. So 
chatting but with a privacy and with a purpose so i'm not guessing many teenagers are buying this phone. no <laughs> indeed when i arrived i was only 20 and it was really weird to me right but in the end uh, when you get used to it you really feel more relaxed okay who is your target audience buyer businessmen and uh, also people interested in technology because it's something new okay how much does it cost more than 300 uh, francs 300 francs well, yeah, way cheaper more. Than, <laughs> how much more like <laughs> it what? is uh, 349 okay. francs okay. so way cheaper than an iphone way cheaper than a yeah, smartphone yeah Julian, but is that he's something also that you... a piece of design because it's designed by Jasper Morrison. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. It's black, it's very small, you hold it um, very easily in your hand, it doesn't slip out like some of the big phones that we have. Yeah. Georgina, what uh, were you going to ask me? I was wondering if you're in the market for that, do you ever feel the need to switch off? No. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> what if I'll, I need to I'll read an article all of a sudden? Especially, especially on the weekend, it is. I have to say, very nice because I'm, I'm somebody as a journalist. I have to say, who is quite eager to switch off sometimes on the weekends, especially. We follow news all the time, every throughout the But what if the there's breaking week. news on a Saturday? You won't. Who's going to phone you to tell you? Nobody's going to phone me because there will be somebody else in the office who's on call. When I'm not on call, I like to just switch off completely, and it would be nice to have that option in a way. See, I see Cecilia's <laughs> nodding vigorously. <laughs> She's found a yeah. buyer. Chris, it's only 350. That's not bad. In pounds, that's like 200 bucks. Back to basics. <laughs> Julia, I am so, I'm so with you on this, Julia. I, I just, I, I've got to be checking all the time. I right? need to know what's going on. <laughs> right? Um, but this whole kind of idea of, of back to, to our sort of analogue mm. past mm. Uh, and uh, tech, I think we now take for granted, but it has changed uh, how we do things absolutely dramatically. And one of those ways is music. Now, of course, everything is electronic. We compose things uh, with with uh, uh, software and so on. But back when the Beatles were in their heyday, uh, we were seeing it in a, in a completely different way. And the new film, uh, Get Back, shows Paul McCartney just beginning to pluck out the chords for that song, for that song, Get Back. Uh, and there's a, there's a great piece about that in today's Independent, Chris. Yes, there is. It just it just struck me, I have to say, because uh, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, I was skeptical about watching this documentary get back from the Beatles, in part because it was such a long sort of 60 hours of, of looking at it. But this piece actually makes me now want to watch it because it was sort of a, a contrarian, contrarian piece, if you will. This piece essentially is a column complaining about the complainers and that there's been so many people who have been watching this documentary from get back and I've read them also journalists and others now sort of suddenly reassessing the Beatles and sort of saying well you know we, we all overrated them back 50 years ago and we you know what was really so so beautiful about them to begin with and that they you have people online on social media sort of talking about watching the documentary and going oh well it's just a few chords I could have I could have put that together myself you know those kinds of comments and I've just I've read quite a bit of this and I think sometimes we're quite tempted as journalists too we need to be the contrarian so we need to kind of put 
out an article that's like, oh, well, the Beatles, I mean, they're overrated and, you know, we need to kind of put that out. So this was sort of a defense in the opposite way, an article that was just talking about how let's stop undermining the Beatles. This was a creative force from 50 years ago. We are still listening to their music. Absolutely. We still know their stuff. And this was also, and the interesting is this was such a behind-the-scenes look that you so rarely get of an act as powerful as the Beatles to really look totally. at their process Chris, for we're 60 gonna, months. we're going to come back to you a little bit later on today and find out more about the market. But meanwhile, thanks both of you very much, Juliet and Chris. And that's all for this edition of Monocle on Saturday. We're going to continue through the weekend with our special broadcast from our Christmas market in Zurich. Do join us. Thanks to our studio engineer, Chris Ablakwa, and our producer, Carlotta Rabella. I'm Georgina Godwin, and Monocle on Saturday returns same time next week. Thanks for listening.